0: Happy to be for once on the other side, uh, not being the entrepreneur interviewed, but actually the one interviewing. Hi, uh, Daniel, and Chris, great to, to have the conversation today.
1: Hey, Hanno, Robert, it's uh, great to see you, and uh, I would have preferred to be on the other side, Hanno. <laughs> no. But it's good. I always like to share, you know, some of my uh, early background, my story. It's fun, and especially with mind like people.
0: Absolutely agree. And and maybe after the IPO of Personia, we can turn things around and you can interview me. But in the meantime, I think you're you're the more exciting person and exciting company for now, Uh, and therefore very interested to hear some of your stories. And I know that. The standard question that uh, you always get asked in these podcasts is about the history. And um, while I think uh, you've probably told this story a lot of times, I'm still curious to to just hear a little bit of uh, back in 2005 uh, for you uh, leaving Microsoft and starting your own company. What was the the reason for that back then and how did you go about it? Well, I was not happy in Microsoft
1: and in the US, obviously, and... uh... You know, I always had this drive to build something. I have started my first company when I was 20. It was a recruitment company, actually. And then I went into programming and I got employed. But during the years, I always wanted to build products. And I thought uh, going back to Romania will allow me to tap into less expensive, good engineering resources, which was in fact true, but everything else didn't work. You don't have a market here. You don't have investors. You don't have mentors. You don't have product managers. You don't have salespeople. You you have nothing. You, You have a bunch of engineers that can help you build the product. But Again, everything else was a disaster, but it was also a tremendous learning experience because I had to become a bit of uh, everything else. My first uh, pivot was into becoming a product manager because that was how I, uh, someone had to do it. I couldn't, I stopped basically writing code all day long. So I had to become a product manager and in turn that maybe much closer to our customers, understand early trends. And I've come to appreciate a lot more doing something for customers that customers like versus just something that I, as an engineer, liked. So early years were good. You have hope, but it's, uh, it's been really a lot of hardship into the making in the
0: early years. I bet it, it was, and I can imagine only uh, we're both European entrepreneurs, but certainly I've I've started a company on much more fertilized ground with investors being already here by the time I started the company. So when, when you started the company, you just mentioned about identifying trends. I think today RPA is, is a big category. UI Pass certainly one of the leading players in the space, if not trailblazing the space uh, in, as a whole. But uh, what, what led you back then? identify that trend already and realize that there's a company to build in that space?
1: Well, we have started as building uh, uh, as uh, a tough engineering problem because it's not easy to solve it. To be able to look at the computer screen and understand it as a human user, it's quite complex. But frankly, we didn't understand what RPA would become the term were, were not even coined back then, 2005. But we knew somehow that we are on to something big. We we hope somehow, we had the dream, this is a technology that can uh, bring us, you know, help us build a good company, a great company. So we have kept insisting on building it, building it without... Uh, having uh, some kind of a breakthrough in terms of customers but we like the technology we had some early interest but mostly it's important to know that we have started like an OEM company we've built an, an SDK that other software company were using for different integration purposes we've systems that didn't provide an API so they were using our computer vision approach but OEM businesses are very difficult, but in and it's difficult to scale an OEM business. But in turn, it helps you build a really good technology, because you are seeing lots of use cases out there, and you deal with other software engineers, it's a bit easier. So we had the, the advantage to perfect this technology, but without understanding the market. I didn't realize, coming from my engineering background that in the business world, in the business operations world, there are so many inefficiencies, that uh, really there are so many, many manual, repetitive processes. And when we have found the product market fit, it was like a match in heaven, because our technology was literally the best in business, way better than people that understood earlier than us the market. And when we got into the market, it was the only reason why, you know, few engineers in this remote corner of the world were able to leap ahead really much more established companies. It was just the technology was really better. And it was a tribute to our early OEM days when we've seen so many use yeah. cases and we built something that was ready to scale.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's it wants more of course, pays off to not uh, scale early just because you see a market but really invest into the technology about uh, building the, the best product in the market, which then pays off in the long run. But still, if, if we look at the, about the, the history of, of your iPod, I mean, nowadays, of course, a lot of companies with a pitch deck raise a lot of money and then go on. You, you bootstrapped the business for, for 10 years from in 2005. And then afterwards, you you kind of inflected and uh, grew from 1 million to 100 million AR faster than every company before, even Slack, uh, so what was the was it really just that point in time? Do you hit product market fit, or was was the point that that changed at that point in time? And how did you realize that that things were all of a sudden different after ten years?
1: Well, we had a few death like experiences. And it's a very funny story. In uh, like uh, I think June two thousand and nine, we were on the verge of having zero money in the bank. And I was literally on the verge of uh, telling uh, a few people that work with me that I cannot pay the salary this month and we need to get, you know, to see what we can do. And at that point, we got uh, an interesting order from AIG Egypt and AIG was bankrupt in the United States at that point for like $10,000 for our technology and that saved (laughs) the company. And it was oh, wow. literally on kind of the 8th of uh, June when the order came and I had to pay the salary by 10th. That was kind of the custom. So it was really the saving grace of the company, but we had a few more. In, uh, and way in 2011, up to 2011, we had the consulting arm that bootstrapped the product arm of the company. Yeah. And we lost our biggest customer, a US startup that really went to resizing, to sizing down because of the crisis and everything. And we had just our OEM business. But we've decided let's uh, keep the you know doors open for a couple more years. Let's do the best we can do. But if it's not working, let's you know let's call it a quit and uh, we. We shut down the company, and then we build our low code, no code uh, product that use our OEM technology, but pack it in a much easier to use way to automate the business process. Dragging and dropping, and wrapping and dropping components that makes it quite easier. Like, and uh, we were again on the verge of being bankrupt because our OEM. Customers didn't care about our low-code, no-code environment because they were developers. They wanted to write code. But we were fortunate to be found by a BPO company out of India. And they, at this time, were doing a project with a competitor of us. But at that time, I didn't know they, they were our competitors. <laughs> and uh, But they were unhappy with that uh, with that company because it was quite inflexible in how to deal, in pricing, in everything, and quite a bit arrogant. So they were searching for something uh, they can use. And they found they really liked our, uh, our uh, low-code, no-code studio. That was very visual, great user experience. And they... Gave us a chance, basically. They, uh, they, they let us to do the same project in parallel as the other company. When we did it and we did it better. And we understand, wow, this is actually a big market. Believe me, at that time, I didn't know what BPO means. I didn't know that this business exists at all. Because I thought, how come it exists in the world of APIs, of databases, CRM, ERP systems? Why people are doing the same manual transactions? But when we discovered, yes, it exists, it's big, then it was no turning back. And uh, we started to find other BPOs that were interested in working with us. And in turn, they've become our first channel partners. Because initially, we we were a complete indirect business. BBOs helped us to get into the hands of really huge customers, and in parallel, we got our first seed investment from early birth, so everything started to to really look good in front of us. and You know, after 10 years of hardship, of being in the trenches and having every day doubting yourself doubting your life ruining your life there is again no turning back you take it and you move as fast as you can there is no time for fear you've seen the worst you are yeah. when you are in a better position you after you live 10 years in a prison you you don't care anymore so you just it allowed me to really shape this company to to scale as fast as we could over that time.
0: And maybe just to, to double down on that, because I think it's, it's interesting. We, we were founded in 2015, we bootstrapped for a year, but since uh, the one year, kind of, well, we were, I guess, 10 people, or something, we just continuously grew uh, in headcount. For you, probably it's, it was much more like a, a very long like the consulting arm, a consistent sized business, and then all of a sudden growing to thousands of employees over, over a short amount of time. How is that kind of from a company? Like leading a company, and the culture shifting all of a sudden from the survival mode to being the prison cell, fighting every day. To now, all of a sudden, all this all this demand and and that shift. And then, how did that uh, change the way you had to lead the company?
1: I I realized in the in the past five years, six years since this growth has started, that the most difficult thing in building the company is actually building the teams. It's not the vision. It's not the product. It's building the teams, and it's not only engineering teams. Building the teams, dealing with people, understanding psychology, making them rowing in the same direction. If you are able to get hundreds of people believing in something, rowing in the same direction, this is an unbelievable force, and I've seen it working. So it was, uh, it was really crazy what happened. but but we had some guiding principles into how to build our company. And I was, uh, you know, watching Silicon Valley for many years before I was in the position to build this. I really took a lot from uh, their playbook, starting with culture. We studied quite a lot Netflix culture that was kind of instrumental into building our own culture. In understanding how to build a company at scale, and it's not only—it's really seeding c- the good values into the company. And again, after a lot of debate in within uh, you know the circle of founders and early people about what we are, we are. We went to this, through this uh, important exercise. Let's define who we are by only one value that we aspire to the most, not necessarily what we are today, but what we aspire to. So this is when I've come with the concept of humility. And it's, uh, it's extremely powerful. Whereas in a way, to me, it's an aspiration of human being of all human beings. To be humble, it's an aspiration. It's, we all like humble people, not arrogant people. It's, it's kind of obvious. And being humble lets you listen more, learn faster, change your mind faster. It's, it's literally a no-brainer. It's, but it's not easy to get there. But if you anchor your culture in humility and you keep repeating it, you keep repeating it, Somehow it works. You you are able to hire at large scale people that uh, at least uh, embrace it, are familiar with the concept, and it it kind of in it it helps ingraining into them. This is the operating model. So to me, that was the only way that helped us to scale from. Think about July 2015, so six years ago, we were 10 people, 31st of December, so 1st of January 16, we were like 30. Then 1st of January 16, yes, 30, and then uh, 1st 17, we were maybe 100, 1st January 18, 500, and then... The, the craziness happened. In uh, mid19, we were 3,400. So from forefront for 500 to 3,400 in 18 months. That was pure craziness. and we made lots of mistakes, obviously. and we had to change leaders, we have to restructure the company. But it's it's all for good. You learn from mistakes, and if you are able to correct the course really early, and to me it's like in cancer detection. This is a company where I invested, and I like it. They say best uh, best cure for cancer is prevention. It's early. It's early detection. Same in the life of the company. Best. Cure it's early detection of the problems, and then having the mindset to correct them at all costs. Humility helps; it's fantastic, really. I don't understand why not. So, why? It. it I think it should work for everybody, especially in this modern economy, remote economy.
0: So, uh, back a bit to the to the journey from inception of the company towards the IPO. What was the the phase? You, you enjoyed most, and what are the, the uh, and why kind of, did you like a specific face maybe more than others?
1: I think the most I enjoyed uh, around 2016, 17. When I started to scale, it was clear we are onto something huge important, but still it was a lot of chaos, uh, it was a lot of re- energy. You know, coming every time uh, in uh, in a room here back in Bucharest and seeing new faces always. You know, we had the all hands and always new guys. It's it, it, it was something interesting, very colorful in a way. After I we reach a certain stage and my job changed a lot over the past five years. It's day and night, and I I know that. You are experiencing the same, and uh, so now I'm working more with my leadership team. I'm working more in a close circle, and I don't see the power, especially during COVID. I don't see the so much the power of the of the people getting together, cheering. It's uh, I think it's a little. It's way more distant than. you know, it used to be when it was hands on the metal, now it's like flying by wire, the company. So to me, I enjoyed the most that time, but for my own development as an individual, what I've been through in the last two years were, were way more important. I think I understood a lot more about what leading a company at scale, which is a challenge in itself. And... Uh, it's it's different level of experience, completely.
0: Yeah, have one uh, kind of more more product question from you, just having gone through an IPO. What's your your general view on on the the, the change markets? Also, some trends like go uh, public via specs. Do you uh, would you expect this is something that will, will become more common, or is it just a trend that goes goes away very quickly?
1: I think it's a solid offering in a way. It's, you go you get very fast on the market via spec and uh, I'm not sure the best companies will choose the spec the spec way because you miss the road show talking to investors. I think there are some things that you miss in the process and you like to do and uh, even I you know speaking uh, it, it's a very interesting we, we learn quite a lot. Uh, on the topic of correct listing and IPO so i i really at the end of the day i think i believe you know both are sound and you just need to carefully see what's good for your company but clearly we proved in a way that our IPO was a success for the traditional from the traditional IPO
0: perspective um, maybe two questions to to kind of round off uh conversation uh, one around uh, the last uh, eighteen months uh, of, with with COVID and uh, all the challenges we we faced. What what, what is, did you? What was the impact for you uh, on the business? Both when it comes to some of the the trends accelerated, that were maybe helpful for the business, but also uh, like as a as a business with customers, but also internally as a company, um, and then kind of the way working together has changed. What well, what did you observe over the past year?
1: Well, I'll start uh, internally. Where we uh, even before COVID, we had the policy of uh, remote working for everyone. So basically, we allow everyone in the company to simply stay today. I work from home. No explanation. Maybe no, I I am tired, or you know, I'm sick, or nothing. Today I work from home. That's okay. So our systems were ready for that type of environment so switching to complete remote work was really a piece of cake for us so we we were quite good and as many other companies we have experienced kind of a productivity increase in the first few months now i think it's decreasing we are getting i can tell many people can't wait to go back to to the office and get the environment in uh, So I'm not completely, I'm not, I'm a believer in a hybrid environment going forward, not necessarily in a complete remote environment. Maybe it's going to work for a few companies, but even in that case, you still need to meet from time to time. Teams, brainstorming, you cannot do brainstorming remotely. Let's be serious. You cannot stay on a Zoom and do a brainstorm it's not you need to be in the room to breathe to have time space move it's this is what powers the brain to come with new ideas to be creative so uh, so in terms of business man initially it was very scary so i still remember it's not so far away but in march april man everybody we were talking to told us guys you should prepare for like uh, 30% missing your target to and back then we already had decent targets we, we understood the game in town 30% missing the real target that you 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 hope to achieve actually to 50 80% i said fuck man how the company would look like. And really, was, uh, we, we, we look into how to downsize the company, how to react to different, you know, what, what can happen. Maybe people would not even honor their commitments. And it can be like a big disaster. And it, 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 it it's a good exercise, actually. I would recommend to everyone to go through this, say, hey, if you miss 50% your target, what would you do in order to survive? And I think even if you don't do this, but the exercise in itself will show you some things that don't work in the company and how you will go when you really have to squeeze yourself. So it it, it, it was good. It prepared us for, for uh, we, we even streamlined more the company without really significant layoffs or anything but we streamline some roles we change a bit the structure and meanwhile we've seen that actually we are hitting our targets so it was clear at this point that we we are hitting our we are hitting our internal targets that uh, we set and that was a big relief and that was the moment when we could raise again money so think about it in march we were march even april we were thinking 30% missing in june we raised money at 50% increase in valuation compared to our series d it was just in the span of 3 months it was interesting yeah. to see but net net covid for us was neutral in the sense that we we really hit the target pre covid set so it was clear neutral it was yeah. not the Zoom like zoom really <laughs> was yeah. like really. but i think the awareness for digital transformation has increased multiple times and uh, it's uh we are seeing we are seeing a positive momentum in the market
0: when you uh, give have to give advice about People founding a company, probably like maybe the early stage of founding, but really starting to grow them and wanting to build them to a long stage business. We talked about values uh, and uh, the people and their importance, which are fully second. And we talked about uh, the goal setting process. What what would be one uh, last learning you would leave people with, or advice uh, what to focus on, or, uh, or how to to make sure to build a, a long lasting business uh, in in the software space?
1: Well, I will reiterate, which is the norm today, to be customer-centric and uh, focused. And I think especially for founders coming from an engineering background, this is not quite obvious to them because they have a feeling they know better than the customer, what's good for the customer. And this is rarely true. Of course, you can come up with the new innovative concept, but in order to perfect it, you need customer input. You don't. You don't. You are not better. Your customers are better than you in using your product. First of all, because they are using it, and they bet. You know their operations, their life, their careers. On. so you need to you need to respect this, but in a very deep way, because if a customer comes to you and say, "I have a problem with this." And you cannot afford to tell them, guys, but we have a different agenda. Solving your problem will impact our roadmap. We will put it, but we will deliver to you in six months. If you do this, you are not customer-centric. No, customer-centric, you go to your engineer and say, guys, I don't want to hear anything. You deliver it by in the next week. We stop everything, but a customer... It's more important than the product. I think many, I'm talking about B2B. I have no idea how in B2C things. In B2B, a customer is more important than your roadmap that you do in the next three months or so. Especially early one, it's 100% more important. Customers give you the credibility, reference into an entire industry. They connect as reference to investors. Your valuation is not by the number of features in the product, it's a multiple to the revenue that the customer brings. It's a no brainer, but people fail to understand this and they cannot really they cannot change the mind. This is why I am right versus people take people ruin their life because they try to prove they are right. I don't give a shit. If you are right, it means you are fucking lucky. Nobody is right on this world. You cannot bend the reality according to your will. If you if you had the theory that proved that to be the one that was correct and kind of estimated the future and reality, you are just lucky. Get with this theory in mind and you'll be way
0: better off. That makes sense. I have one follow-up question on that uh make it a- a bit harder because I fully agree with the customer emp- uh, empathy and the focus on them, I think there's just a bit of customers having a problem and wanting something immediately, and then of course there's a bit of the roadmap of things you promised to customers and customers signing up because you you said you deliver something. How would it balance that?
1: It's an interesting balance, but in terms of i would uh, I would always prioritize way higher things that customer requested versus things that your product managers and engineers want to put in the pool. That's a no brain.
0: Yeah.
1: Of course, if you have to really choose one versus the other, I think that's also part of your customer. If you have, if you have a chance to acquire a new customer, that can uh, bring your business to a new level, I will go to my existing customers and I'll I'll tell them honestly, guys, I love you. We'll do everything for you. But this time we have to deliver this one because this is quintessential. Our business will go to the next stage and and in turn is going to help you even more. But we need to do this at this point. You go with all the integrity and honesty and say this, and they will understand. Yeah. If they will do the same.
0: Yeah, and it comes back to the humility you mentioned earlier, that, that we fail to know things in advance. And then you, you're open, honest, and integral towards your customers. So that makes sense. Great. Daniel, thank you very much for the interview. Uh, I think it was, I personally found it very interesting.
1: This time is my turn so i hope you will uh, you will really go and build a sustainable company you like pure it's a joy
0: i'm very eager to, to follow your path and continue to strengthen the the european tech ecosystem thanks samuel and uh, look forward to catching up soon again ciao bye